The Impact Center at the University of Pittsburgh, supported by the National Institute of Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research, proudly present Impactic. Today's episode is Creating Tech to Enable Independence with our guest, Stephen Sutter, the founder and president of Creatability, Inc., Recorded remotely from my soundproof bedroom closet in Pittsburgh, PA, this is your host, Mary Goldberg, in our very first episode in the 2021 Impactic podcast series. Happy 2021 and Happy New Year, Steve. Doesn't that feel great to say? Oh, it sure does. We're thrilled to have you as our first guest of Impactic. You know, what really resonated with the team is your drive and persistence to stay true to your mission of building technology to make independence possible. The kind of impact of the type of technology that your group develops is immense. For example, enabling people with intellectual disabilities to work and live independently in their homes. You know, without these technologies, it's clear that the clients you serve may need to live with family members, which obviously increases their reliance on others and perhaps even the family member's ability to work or, or manage other responsibilities. So in this case, the impact seems to not be necessarily just on the person with the disability, but also their family, the company that they work for, and, and so on. Can you help us fill in the gaps for our listeners by introducing yourself and creatability. And thank you, by the way, for the incredible work that, that you do. Well, I'm married to my best friend and between the two of us, we have four kids, six grandkids and two more on the way. I'm an electrical engineer from Purdue and worked at Hewlett Packard for 18 years where I thought I would eventually retire from. Um, but I had been a volunteer for many years, helping people with special needs, people with disabilities and uh, really got to know them in a really intimate way, uh, experienced their lives, saw their needs, experienced their needs, and felt I had to jump in and help them in some deeper way. That makes a lot of sense. It certainly is a big leap, though, um, being that that was, in general, more of a volunteer responsibility. Uh, what made you make the leap from the corporate world to starting your own business, and how did you know that these were problems that were worth tackling? Great questions. Um, so one day I'm going off to work and I have this divine intervention where I, I look at my name tag and I have no idea why I would want to do that for a living. And, you know, really, who am I? I had this real identity crisis moment. And for three weeks, really struggled with realizing this was going to be the end of my career at HP. Um, something I defined myself by. I realize that's backwards right now, but because I had great kids and a wife and everything, but I defined myself in my position. And that I'll get fixed really quickly by saying, nope, that's over. Um, so I got this Venn diagram vision of three overlapping circles, one of them helping people with special needs, another one using technology, and the third overlapping ring was in a home or workplace environment. And where those three rings overlapped, and this is 1997, um, there wasn't anything on the, on the internet. There was no Google back then. But when you asked Jeeves with your dial-up modem, it would say nothing. <laughs> there was nothing that came up. 
And I really struggled with what does this mean? And finally found that meaning, found the, what it all may, meant in this area of uh, assistive technology to help people with special needs in these domains. That's interesting. So you sort of found a niche, I guess. Would you describe this, this problem that you were encountering um, when you were searching and, and not, not coming up with an ideal solution? Yeah. So fast forwarding a few years where I really was struggling to find out what is it and what should it be and what shouldn't it be, we started developing technology to help in task prompting at a workplace or help them understand what chores to do and how to do that. And uh, we found that unfortunately about 50% of the time well, it takes a village to set someone up in a position at a workplace or in a group home or community-based living environment. Um, it could get all get derailed about 50% of the time because of some undocumented behavioral health issue. There's lots of fear, anxiety, et cetera, going on in the minds of people with special needs. And so we found that people with intellectual disabilities who also have challenging behaviors lack those self-regulation skills. And we found that staff often, not always, but often lack the self-regulation and the co-regulation skills that would help both them and the person they serve. And that resulted in not only uh, not having these core competencies being built, but both sides experienced this self-dysregulation and co-dysregulation issue. Uh, for example, um, even in the middle of COVID-19, people with special needs would sometimes say that they had to go to the emergency room. Really what they were doing was acting out in a way that they wanted to get a redeal. You know, they didn't like their current setting or situation or they were bored or scared with the isolation. And they thought, I'll just push the panic button. The, Many times we found it was the staff that somehow contributed to their dysregulation, this feeling of not knowing what to do or how to do it. And um, this created vicious cycles that disrupted the whole environment. And whereas ER, certainly in the middle of COVID was not the right place to go, it seemed like the right thing to do for the individual. So, Reframing that, if we could develop tools that could help them do their own self-regulation and certainly co-regulation between this dyad of the person, the staff member, and the person served, it would really help. It sounds like the idea then, in terms of serving individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities um, and people with traumatic brain injury and those that care for them came first and then the business. Is that about right? That's correct. Awesome. And I see that it is also your anniversary, by the way. Um, I saw that Creatability is now in its 20th year. It's pretty incredible. That's um, some nice longevity. And I'm sure you've experienced a lot of lessons learned. And curious, and I'm sure our listeners will be also, could you comment a bit on the key to both your personal and company's success? And in that, I guess I'm particularly interested in your qualities and your company's values and so on. Thank you for the uh, anniversary announcement. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, we believe that we can really help people flourish 
And that's not always a word that's used with people with intellectual disabilities. They might be in a state where they're trying to make do or just survive the moment. But we found we could actually help them flourish um, by understanding what their goals and their dreams are and aligning the right mix of products as well as people in their lives that can help them. And then performing evidence-based research via grants through NIDLER, uh, National Institutes of Health and other agencies we've been able to bring these products to market. But in that process was key for us was getting the involvement of everyone with the individual served. Um, we meet with them, we talk with them, they, they're present when they test the products, when they support the products. It's, it has to be very, very much uh, an involvement by the whole team. And we approach everything with a team approach. In fact, our employees are called team members, not employees. That's awesome. How many team members then do you have? Six full-time and eight part-time. Okay. And when you get out there then and engage your stakeholders and, and use this, this team approach, are you calling on a particular group of stakeholders? Are you doing focus groups? How do you connect with the greater community? You're right. Uh, focus groups are an excellent way to really help each person present, make sure that they're heard. So we use a, an approach where everyone gets to talk, everyone gets to vote, and every vote counts equally on what features and functions, what the user experience is supposed to be. And that's after first, of, of course, um, carving out where is the gap? What is the gap analysis here between the way things are and the way things should be or could be? And uh, so focus groups are the first part. The second part is that we use multiple cycles of um, development and test. So you don't, we want to avoid going away in an ivory tower for nine months or something, and then coming out and saying, voila, and everyone looks at us like uh, underwhelmed. So, or missed it. Sure. Um, so, by coming up with these mini release cycles, um, as long as everyone buys into that, yeah, we're not, we're not developing every aspect yet, but bite-sized chunks of features and functionality and user experience, experience enhancements, um, we're able to really avoid not drifting too far off track in case we miss something. Um, so we, we really have high involvement with our, our target consumer, and then realizing, you know, we've heard the word disruptive technology, you know, used a lot. Actually, this, this target market does not want disruption. They want you to dovetail your new solution neatly into their current workflow. And yes, you may result in a business cycle change down the road, but you don't want to lead with that. You want to easily dovetail and integrate into their current processes and uh, and help them. Yeah, it sounds like your connection to the community is is such a huge driver and predictor of, of your success. I'm curious how in these strange COVID-19 times, how how your whole process of this community connection and stakeholder engagement was impacted. In a very 
first traumatic and then fun way. So it turns out that the pandemic has actually accelerated adoption of technology by almost seven years. So just in nine wow. months, we got a seven year advancement. And that's because it wasn't really on their A plan to adopt some of the technology, but they had to, that there wasn't any other options available for remotely supporting the person served. But if we would have pushed it the normal way or normal technology evolution and adoption cycles, it would have taken about seven years according to some data that was just released. So internally, we were able to evolve from, oh my gosh, our we've had huge cancellations of projects, delayed orders, let's hunker down, let's, let's survive the storm, let's control costs, you know, all those kind of things. And then one day woke up and realized, oh, I've got this all wrong. COVID-19 actually provides a unique opportunity that could drive business to our company. It's not something to be feared at all. It's, it's an issue and it's a serious issue and many people have lost their lives. And so we don't want to celebrate that, but by looking at it differently from a business perspective, uh, how it could drive business to us, that changed everything. Do you think that's true for all of your stakeholders or all of the, the beneficiaries of your technologies? And, and if so, who are those subgroups specifically? So certainly it turns out that isolation, um, and this was necessary, you know, to help people stay safe and stay healthy. Um, many people with intellectual disabilities had to be isolated. And it turns out that actually exacerbated some of these behavioral health issues. And many of them acted out as a natural outcoming of, uh, of that isolation. So it's really helped them by, uh, video chats, um, using avatar-based technology that would help relay messages and interact with them as a virtual staff member. It helped direct support professionals as well in being able to stay safe and yet still stay connected with the person they're serving. Families of people with intellectual disabilities, once that individual had moved out into some community-based living system, it was really hard on them to bring that person back. You know, that person had experienced independence for the first time and didn't want to act necessarily be back in home in a home environment again. And that caused some conflict. So anything we could do to maintain their preferred residence and yet keep them safe was what we want to do. Certainly the agents, agencies who support people with intellectual disabilities were Benefit, benefited by this. And then the funding organizations, the counties, the regions, uh, state, and various countries have, as well have opted in in funding this kind of technology. To that end, it, it seems like a big win-win for, for everyone with most of your stakeholders very much on board or even you know, resulting in some kind of uptick of sales. I'm curious, are there any saboteurs in this? process among your stakeholder groups? Yes. And I think this is transferable to anyone listening, whatever market you're in, is that the status quo is the human tendency to avoid change. 
and having to do more with to, uh, having to do more with less, you know, just that tendency to do that. So um, that will always be someone pay, pumping the brakes who just doesn't feel that they're included into the plan. And that's why it's really important to involve everyone, all the stakeholders, make sure everyone has a voice. Um, because that, you know, if you look at that disk profile approach of personalities, I don't know if you mm -hmm. subscribe to that philosophy. Yeah. Um, it, the S's are, are kingpins. I mean, they are the supporter. They are the, the, the frontline support people and yet may not feel that they have a voice. And so we need to make sure that they have one and use it and help them advocate for themselves so that they can really be heard um, because they would naturally want to pump the brakes on changes because they are not brought into the process. Um, so that was key. Uh, so I didn't think of them so much as a saboteur, but um, it certainly, it wasn't um, helping in the process sometimes. And it turned out it was our fault, not theirs. Anytime we didn't include them early and often, uh, we usually paid for it downstream. Nice. So it seems like having a general understanding of who all of your stakeholders are and how they, I guess, interface with you, um, both pros and cons have been really key to your process. Yes. Yeah. Well, assuming that creatability has had this level of success through COVID-19 and that there's really been such a demand for your products and services, I'm assuming any companies that you might view as competitors must have also. I'm curious how creatability differentiates itself among this, this group of competitors. Right. Well, the biggest differentiation, um, actually, you know, there's a lot of complexities in competitive analysis and you can, you can spend a lot of time and energy and money uh, trying to do that. We found the real key is to find out what the competition won't do or what the competition can't do and just do those things. So those are the best differentiators. Um, I think that might even help some of our listeners in uh, who are struggling with trying to come up with feature to feature or price to price competitive solutions. Um, you can actually simplify your life and sleep better by just doing what they won't do or what they can't do. And in our market, that was really around this evidence-based research. A lot of the other competitive approaches were just great ideas that had never really been tested and proven. A lot of them tried to use uh, kind of a text messaging therapy methods or um, therapists you could call up when you need them. But this population of people with intellectual disabilities, when they're off center, they are not as able to do things technically as, um, as they might normally be. And I think, you know, I struggle with that myself when I'm really frustrated about something, um, adding complexity, technical complexity is very off-putting and actually increases my, my dysregulation. So we wanted to have this avatar approach that was readily available, that could be there many, not, not, we're not robo psychologists, we're just trying to give them skills 
And I must first say that we've been working with Dr. Julie Brown to develop a skills system that we've taken together. She's been a key consultant in this project and made it into an app form with tools that would help the individual and their supports be able to regulate better. And it's nine different skills that you can apply to the current situation you're in right now, like conflicts with a roommate, something off with a coworker. Instead of that normally re resulting in reacting to urges or negative thoughts, this gives you some skills that you can apply right now to the situation to better keep your actions in alignment with your goals. Interesting. When you're coming up with these different scenarios and, and some of the examples even that, that you just provided in your description now, do you have a particular customer archetype or persona in mind? We found that if we tried to use the last project we did and then dust off that because we haven't looked at it in nine months, you know, and dust that off and use that as a starting point, that we missed something. We actually found that we had to start out with, let's start out with the basis of not make assumptions, verify assumptions. You know, we would certainly have some assumptions, but let's verify and validate those before going further, um, which really gets into probably as a commercial for the next podcast, but um, it's the importance of this business case. I couldn't have cued it better myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And we can't wait to learn a little bit more about um, how you put this quote action plan into place and, you know, all the little keys to your sustainable success. This has been really great. And I really appreciate your time and insights and know our listeners will be able to learn from your experiences. Could you please share where our listeners can learn more about creatability? You bet. Um, our website is createabilityinc.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or email me directly at steve at createabilityinc.com. Excellent. You can also reach me directly on my phone number at 317-777-0356. Okay. Excellent. Thanks again. So on the next episode, you will hear how Steve executed his action plan from products to market and how he thinks a little differently about planning ahead, prospecting, and incorporating sustainability from the beginning. Until then, keep making a positive impact in whatever you do. Take care and stay healthy. quick note from our sponsors. Impact initiatives are being developed under a grant from the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research. Nidler is a center within the Administration for Community Living, Department of Health and Human Services. 
Impact initiatives do not necessarily represent the policy of Nidler, ACL, or HHS, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government, and the same goes for the University of Pittsburgh. We'd like to thank our Impactic guests and our production team at the University of Pittsburgh, Dr. Michelle Zoria from the Department of Rehab Science and Technology, Natalie Vasquez, and Dr. Marie Norman from the IDEA Lab at the Institute for Clinical Research Education.